With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And the first neuropsychiatrist who got a hold of me in San Diego said, um, okay, you're, you're blind in your left eye. Your brain is dead and get ready to be here for a while. And I looked at her, I started speaking again. This was a couple weeks in. I grabbed her, I tried to grab her right by the neck and said, don't ever tell me I can't do anything. And you're fired. And I fired her. And I said, bring me in a whole team of people who tell me I can. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, learning to walk from, you know, a one-handed cane to four people assisting me to a, a three-prong cane, to a two-prong cane, just to a walker holding onto a wall. And at the end of that, of that, of that center, I walked out of there. And I think I, fl- I flipped her the bird. I saw that nurse, like, and I flipped her the bird. I was like, look at me. And I just flipped her the bird. Because, you know, I deserved it. I deserved it. What it is, is about telling people anything is possible. Don't tell me something's impossible. You break it down. The word impossible only means I am possible, right? So, and then that mindset kicked in. As I started walking through the hospital, I remember seeing a sign that said, God says you can do anything. God says that you can, you shall, you will, or whatever it was, or you can, you shall, you must, whatever it was. I took that phrase and it made it into my own. And I said, you know what? I kept repeating myself, I can, I shall, I will, those first steps. And I kept putting that mantra in my head saying, I can do anything. I can make this all happen. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Live Boldly podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. This is an inspiring podcast for those seeking proven ways of healing, growing, and transcending their lives. I am a legendary leader in healing, acclaimed author, keynote, and TEDx speaker, a mom, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, every other week I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. Once you make that commitment to yourself, once, even just once, it gets easier the next time. And it gets easier the next time. And it gets easier the next time and the next time and the next time and the next time and the next time. And the more that we feed that commitment to self and that self-belief, the more that we feed our worthiness and our own self-love. And we and we understand that all of that goes back to our heart and our desire and our soul. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Live Boldly with Sarah Schulting Kranz. Did you happen to listen to last week's podcast episode yet? If you have not, I had the gift and the honor of bringing my father to you. Yes, I interviewed my dad. We talked love, life, loss, so much wisdom from his 82 years while he has been here on earth. And I was just really grateful to bring it to you. So go listen to it. Let me know your thoughts. Today, I am interviewing my dear friend, Sean Enton. Sean was a successful entrepreneur who suddenly had a stroke when he was only 39 years old. Today's episode is about resilience, stepping into your strength, overcoming your setbacks, having hope even when others do not have hope for you or with you. Before I dive into this episode and more about Sean, I want to remind you that we only have two retreats remaining in the Grand Canyon. They are both in January. One is co-ed, one is all women. They include three months of weekly group coaching along with a one-on-one session with me. These retreats have been my signature work and I am sad to see them end. The National Park Service is redoing the um, water pipeline throughout the entire Grand Canyon. So they are closing services indefinitely at the bottom. And you know, sometimes when a door closes, a window opens. Actually not sometimes, always. And so we are stepping over in this space, we're stepping more into speaking, uh, workshops. If there is a speaking engagement that you would love to see me at, please give me a call. I would love to talk about uh, making that happen for you. We are also stepping into um, bringing more retreat work into organizations. And so if there happens to be an organization that you are involved with where you need a really good deep dive leadership resilience retreat, I would love to talk to you about that as well. So these retreats that I'm running in the Grand Canyon, they are for anyone ready for personal development, healing, finding strength and resilience you never imagined possible, inviting a happier, healthier, more free and choice driven life. I would love to talk to you about that. We only have, I'm not even sure how many spots we have left. Uh, that said, um, please send me an email and let's get on to a discovery call and let's see if it's the right fit for you. My email is sarah at sarahshultonkranz.com. If you have been watching this from the outside going, gosh, I really want to go there someday. I want to be one of those people that have walked out of that canyon space and use it as a foundation for their own life, uh, for stepping into their own resilience and creating what they want and how they choose to live. If you've been watching this, if you have been wondering, questioning, please stop and just give me a call and let's talk because it doesn't cost you anything. And quite frankly, how will you know unless you have the conversation with me? And so I'd love to have that conversation with you and let's see if it's the right fit. So today's episode, Sean, let me tell you about Sean. So Wow. Sean has become a dear friend of mine. This episode is filled with goodness, love, humor, a lot of depth, wisdom. After many surgeries, doctors told Sean that he would never walk, talk, drive, or be independent again. It has been 10 years since he had a stroke, and he has not only regained his independence, in his recovery process, Sean became the stroke hacker, learning how the brain works and what it takes to make it better. His mantra, I can, I shall, I will, helped him through the most difficult times in his life. That knowledge allowed him to teach thousands of people how to do the same. He is currently a survivor coach, podcast host, and founder of the Stroke Hacker community. Grab your journals. Please share this episode with others. Tag me in your social media so I can reshare. Let's get this episode out there. Because like I always say, 
We are vessels for learning, for growing, for healing, for others as well. That's all I am here for you. And I couldn't be more happy and pleased and honored to bring this episode to you right now. So enjoy, message me your thoughts, put it into your socials, like I said, and walk away from this knowing that you can, you shall, you will as well. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly podcast. Today we have on Sean Enton. Go grab your journals because this is going to be a very enlightening conversation. <laughs> All we do is laugh together. Uh, okay, so Sean, how we met? Can I do? Do you mind if I dive into this? Sure, go right ahead. So, for all of you single people out there, wow, <laughs> wow, we're going, wow, are we going there. Okay. there. Are we going there? <laughs> Everybody knows that I share my story, my journey, because it helps other people in theirs, right? Uh, so, I called on one of my former clients on a Wednesday night and said, Hey, I'm coming over on Friday. Let's put together my Bumble which is very funny, my Bumble account. So we did, and I swiped on you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the opening for the show. Oh, uh, this is going to be fun. Okay. That's the opening for the show. So I swiped on you. Lauren and I talked and I said, ooh, he sounds really interesting. Uh, you have a background with trauma and, and that intrigued me. I loved your story. And as we all know, story is something that's very important to me. So we become friends through that one moment of, Ooh, I want to know more about this person. And I would say to all of you in the dating world or the place of, do I go into the dating world or do I not? I would highly encourage you to keep your heart open and to go ahead and try it. Cause that is the season, uh, that is this, it's a really interesting season to be in uh, post divorce or, you know, breakups or whatever, heartbreaks, heartaches. So you have brought a lot into my life and I appreciate that. And this is my gratitude to you for opening uh, a door of uh, what is possible and letting me step into a space within your life and just, you know, being a really good friend on top of it. So welcome. And here you are. Well, thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. So let's dive into your story. I want to know, I listened to the podcast episode with Mark, Dr. Mark Goldston, and it was incredible. I forwarded actually to a lot of my friends. Your story is uh, inspiring to say the least. Uh, there's a lot of resilience in it, and it's one that everybody needs to listen to and also grab their journals and um, take some notes because we are mirrors for one another. So let's tell us mm. a little bit about I want to start with the before the event. I want to know first, who are you pre-event? Who was I pre-event? I was fast-paced entrepreneur who was immortal, just ran and ran and ran and created and built and built more and created everything, what I thought was everything. Had, you know, had the perfect life, was married at the time, two young kids, lived on the beach in San Diego. And I was on top of my game. I was I was full body. And I was, you know, training mixed martial arts with, with the military. I was um, involved with two companies with a team of us who were taking the companies from, from private sector to public sector. And the world was great. Married with two kids, two daughters, right? And then tell us what yeah. happens after that. 
Um, yeah, so I became close friends with military, especially the SEALs in San Diego. And my daughter, who dances, still dances now, was dancing at the time in San Diego, had became friends with someone else in her class. And turns out that her father was a Navy SEAL. And at the time, the Navy SEAL movies, all the movies didn't really come out yet. They're still very, they're still very quiet. It was a very quiet team of guys. It was very like, no one really talked about the SEALs because what they did were missions that, you know, that, that really weren't explained or weren't topics of mind of people, unlike now where there's movies out there. So I'd become close friends with, with the military, the Marines and the SEALs. And the war in terror was just happening. And um, really what I found out were these young kids, you know, in like their 20s who were going overseas and fighting in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And when they came back, they had nothing. When I mean nothing, these guys would go train every day, go off to war. And then when they were to come back to the States, they weren't taken care of. There was no one there to hold them, to love them to guide them through the journey back from being a, a vet, you know, a military into civilian life. So I was, I was kind of positioned in a way where I just kind of fell into this and I was helping them reintegrate back into society, not knowing amount, you know, the trauma, which they experienced from the neck above. Mm. They didn't really wear their trauma in their body because they were taught not to feel pain, not to feel anything, you know, and, and to go quickly into it, the story really is, is that the Navy will spend $8 million on each Navy SEAL, right around 8 to $10 million, And that's from boots to combat. They get them ready for war, but when they come back, there's no stipend. There's no 401k. They're left with the VA. They're, they're, uh, there's really no health insurance. And they're really left to fend for themselves. And they don't know how to find work. They don't know how to reintegrate. And I would, you know... I quickly became friends with all of them and started, you know, working with them and teaching them basic, you know, they all wanted to be entrepreneurs. And then being an entrepreneur has been my life since, since I was 18. And Sarah, you know, what I found out, I was like, Hey, let, let me show you guys what a business plan is. Or let me show you guys what a marketing plan can be. or just a simple cash flow statement or, or, or finances to help them understand what it's like to build a business. They didn't have much knowledge. They had a knowledge about combat about collecting the intel and bringing it back to the Pentagon and working for the POTUS, working for the president of the United States. And these young kids, you know, I really just gravitated to them because they were, they were so, so smart, so efficient, and they executed. So some of them actually came in and worked for my two companies that, that I had at the time. And we started to spend some time together and I got to know them. And when I got to know them, my heart just felt just was wide open and just ripped apart. Like I've never seen before. And that journey led, led me to a, a, a series of events where I brought them over to a friend of mine who was actually still competing in the UFC's name was Dan Henderson. And Dan was fighting his last two fights. And these, and these Navy SEALs were like, Oh, you know, Dan Henderson, it was like their idol because they all want to learn to fight and be combative. But they weren't allowed to really. They weren't taught hand-to-hand combat. They were, but they but 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 the Navy wanted them to stay away from their opponent. They wanted to be snipers. They wanted to collect intel. So I started to bring them along the ride, and to do some hand-to-hand combat. Only to realize that when I started to train with them, the, these guys were seriously just freaks of, of nature, just great athletes. And one day in training with them, I got caught in a choke. My carotid artery got dissected. Right side of my neck got 
got got squished and the choke happened. I came home on that night and 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 I saw my ex-wife at the time and said, I said, my neck's killing me. Something happened in, in training. And she goes, I think we should go see a doctor. Well, I was not ready to see anybody. I was just immortal. I'm like, it's just a bruise. I'll get through it. It turns out that my credit artery got dissected so bad that it started to burst off clots in my brain. And I suffered a massive stroke six weeks post the injury. Oh, it could have been about three to six weeks, somewhere in there. We still don't know the the time frame. And with the stroke, you 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 really have like um you really have like four hours to get what's called the declining agent. Because a stroke, there's something called fast, which means face, arm, speech, and timing. So if the face starts to, to droop or the arm goes numb, and then you have time, you get four hours, you get you get like four hours to get a shot. I was past all that. My face was drooping. My arm wasn't working, but it didn't really happen until, until closer to this event. So it was Thanksgiving week. We had driven up to San Luis Obispo with the family just to go celebrate the holidays and they get at a, a, a San Diego. So I drove up my family for about six hours from San Diego to San Luis Obispo. And I kept feeling symptoms of my left arm going numb and I'm driving the car Stephanie's in the front seat. The two kids are in the back seat. I have my dog, my lab, and everything's fine, but I'm driving along the coast and it's not an, an easy road to go. And I'm driving and I'm feeling my throat just keeps bulging and I feel like my glands are swollen. So I'm like, I'll get through it. I'll power through it. We got up there. Everything was fine. Uh, Thanksgiving came and the night of Thanksgiving, uh, it just all happened to me. My, my carotid artery just burst and clots went right to my brain. And all the blood and oxygen going up to my brain stopped. And when the brain doesn't get blood flow and then oxygen, your brain basically dies. And it's called, and that's what that's what a stroke is called. I mean, that's what really a stroke was. So everything up to that point, I was training like a madman. I was an athlete training with the SEALs and doing jujitsu, doing my yoga, running every day, surfing. And we're in San Luis Obispo at the time. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night after Thanksgiving and and the room is spinning and spinning and spinning, spinning. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm hungover, too much wine. That's common. Wake up the next day. I go back to sleep that, on that night. Couldn't really sleep. I wake up the next day and I barely walked to the mirror. I looked in the mirror and I couldn't see myself. I couldn't even recognize who I was. My face was ash gray. My, my, my face was drooping then. I went to go put my right arm, my right hand out to the mirror I couldn't identify my right hand with my body. Like all proprioception was gone. Wow. And did, so nobody else noticed this? Like, did anybody else notice like something's going on? Well, the interesting thing was I, I told my friend, like who, who I was up there with, um, he said, oh, you just hung over. Just go back to sleep. You'll be fine. I'm going to take, I'm going to take your, 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 I'll take Stephanie and the kids into town. You'll be fine. Just, just, um, just take some time to yourself, you know, do what you got to do. And, and I felt nauseated, but I, but I couldn't throw up. And I, just, I said, something's really, really wrong. So I called, I called to Stephanie. She was upstairs with the kids. I was downstairs. She came running down. She looked at me and she almost just, she looked at me and she almost passed out. She goes, something's really wrong. And I said, call my dad. He's a doctor. I think I'm dying. Actually, I know I'm dying. And then I looked back in the mirror again, Sarah, and I saw my soul leaving my body. Literally, I saw this white light. My soul was leaving. And I said, I'm going. I don't know why I'm going, but I'm going. 
And I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak because my, my speech was gone. The aphasia started to, to kick in. And sure enough, my dad, she called my dad and, and my dad said to her, he said, stop what you're doing right now. Call the paramedics. Sean's having a stroke. I didn't know what a stroke was. I was immortal. I was like, I'll beat this thing. And they're calling the paramedics. I couldn't even talk. I said, don't call the ambulance. I don't, I'm, t- I'm talking to my brain saying, hey, I'll just go out. I'll, I'll just go for a run. I'll feel good. Or put me in a hot yoga or put me in the water. Put me back in the water. I'll heal myself because I'm that kind of guy. You know, I don't need to go to the hospital. That's a waste of my day. I don't want the kids to go there. This, this, is, this is Thanksgiving. It's a Black Friday of 2011. I couldn't speak. Next thing I know, the paramedics came in, assessed me, threw me on the gurney, willed, and took me off to one hospital. My dog didn't leave my side. And the next thing I know, they're trying to take my blood they couldn't really, you know, I was very uh, muscular, uh, muscular at the time. My body fat was probably 12%. So I was pretty, you know, I was vascular. So they, they were able to get into a vein. They got that, but then they wanted me to urinate and I couldn't. So they catheterized me awake, which is the worst pain ever. I got catheterized awake. Um, I tried screaming for my life. And the next thing I know, I go to one hospital and turns out I passed out several times in that hospital this, my dad's in, in LA at the time, which is about two, about, it's probably about two and a half hours south of Santa Barbara. He, he talks to the head of the, you know, he talks to the guy in the ER and says, we need to get Sean to stroke center. And I'm, I'm under, I'm passed out at the moment. I'm, 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 I'm literally, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm fighting for my life at the moment because I don't know what, what's happening. They called up to San Jose, which is the, which was the closest stroke center from them. Or Santa Barbara, San Jose, nobody was around. It was Black Friday. They they found a guy in the ER in Santa, in Santa Barbara in College Hospital, a guy named Dr. Zahner, who's a neurosurgeon who happened to be in the hospital on Black Friday. There was no one around. Everyone's gone. Everyone's on vacation. Everyone's skiing. They're taking their family. He recognizes what happens, orders a helicopter, met, hel- sends a helicopter up to San Luis Obispo, Stephanie and, and my friend drive down and I'm trying to say to them, I don't need a helicopter. I'll just, I'll just drive with them down to Santa Barbara because I had no idea where I was. They didn't wait for me to react because I couldn't even speak. Had I gotten in, in the ambulance and driven down there, I would have been DOA on the way to the hospital. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that's the first part of the story. That's the first part of the story. And I listened to this with Dr. Mark's episode and I sent it to one of my friends and she just kept sending me these messages back. Wow. 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 And I keep going also go, I want to go into the second part of the story as well, obviously, but I want to fly back to your soul, leaving your body, me being a very spiritual person as well. Take us back to that moment. What did you see? Will you, do you mind going there? Of course it was. um... What was that experience like? It was almost to the fact where I felt like I, I was in a movie and my and I saw my body and, and what, what what started happening was I was having a near-death experience. My soul was leaving my, my body and started hovering over my, my body and I was tracking my body going through a certain situations. But I couldn't, at that point, I couldn't relate because I was, you know, of course, when the brain, when the body starts to die, the brain will play tricks on you. It will release certain chemicals right. and just to protect the body of all the pain and, and everything else. So 
back up to French Hospital in San Luis Obispo, where I was there first. The helicopter came. I remember the helicopter coming, and I said to I said to Stephanie, I said, I got to get on the phone and call Debbie, my sister. And I got to call Chris, who was back east. She goes, I, I, we can't reach Chris, but you can call your sister. I called Debbie, and and I remember saying because it was it was the holidays, and we'd gotten into some dumb argument like all brothers and sisters do. And I said, I said to Debbie, I love you. Um, I'm going away for a while. I'm dying. And that's all I could say at that moment. And she started to cry. I started to cry. And then I passed out again. And then in the helicopter, I was no longer in my body. I was next to my body in the helicopter as they transported me down into Santa Barbara. Then I woke up again in my body, looking down at this doctor in between my legs examining me and i'm like why am i naked on a girl why am i naked in this place so i kept waking up and what he what what he had done was he figured out how to throw a catheter into my into my hip and threw a catheter all the way up to my neck to put a net over my carotid artery because my carotid was the size of a baseball and the doctor said afterwards he'd never seen anything like this before except for a gunshot wound or a knife wound it was that badly dissected and the only way I was still alive was because I was in such great shape. So he did that first. He put a net over my, over my, over that crud to stop the clots from going up exceeding anymore. And then they threw me on a bag of ice. That was the world. That was horrible. Now they're trying to freeze me because my, my brain is so inflamed. So, so they start to try to reduce my temperature in my body because I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm massively inflamed. My temperature is rising. Things are not good. My my organs are starting to cook at the moment. I'm declining very quickly. I'm literally close to death by inches away. And, you know, um, a clot to the brain is a stroke. A clot to the heart is a heart attack. Right. My clots were going up to my brain. And going back to your question about what I saw or what happened, it kept happening now that I think about it as I'm running my book now. Memories are all coming back. I kept coming in and out of my body several times. And you're actually the first person to actually know what happened because I just started to recount my 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 steps this last weekend. So I'm I'm in the ER. At the same time, I'm in the ER. Right before that that happened, this doctor's honor met my met Stephanie and and my friend in the waiting room and threw papers in front of her and said, "You better sign these papers now. I need to go and and." operate if not your husband's gonna die she wanted to get a second opinion she wanted to wait my buddy's yelling at her saying sign these papers now because who's gonna rush anyone into huh into into the in, you know in, but you know it's just it is what it is my, she signs it um and um he does his thing my dad drove up for two hours and, and my dad's a farmer I mean, he was the former chief of OBGYN of Tarzana Hospital. He was a senior uh, clinical professor at USC. He was a top doctor, um, but but like I said before, he knew he knew the women from, from the waist down. He did not know anything from the waist above, especially in a man. He hasn't been, a, you know, he's been out of medical school for quite some time, but he was very astute, very very smart. And as he pulls into the hospital, my dad, for the first time in his life, gets the OR doors closed on his face. He's usually the one first in there to operate. He get he starts, and I can only imagine what he went through, but I'm willing into surgery, not even knowing if he's going to see his son again. My mother's back in LA. She must, you know, I know that she was flipping out because here's her son who's basically 
touch and go at the moment. And, and they take me and he does what he needs to do. He saves me at that moment. However, though, Sarah, my brain was so badly inflamed and lost of oxygen and blood to my brain that with, you know, he's running these tests, keeping me going, you know, is doing everything, checking on me and nothing seemed to work. Nothing, the ice on me, you know, trying to, you know, trying to lower down, you know, everything in my body to keep my nervous system calm because I'm, I'm, I'm overacting to everything. My, my body's on a hyperactive drive. It's short circuiting completely. It's like the computer, like, like we just tried to get on Zoom and we're having trouble with sound and then audio. It's all your fault, so, by the way. Which is so funny. <laughs> what? I said that was all your fault, by the way. That's all my, it's always all my fault. So anyways. <laughs> Imagine the computer just shutting down. And you can't like reboot it. So my brain is trying to reboot and it controls every, every system in the body. The, you know, you know, the heart, the nervous system, everything starts with the brain. And my brain was not, my body was not reacting to what he was doing. Even after a four hour procedure of running a catheter up to my neck, a, a little micro, a micro catheter, like the size of a, of it was like I don't know how he did it to be honest, and it wasn't even FDA approved at the time. He did something that most doctors, most surgeons would not do because he just knew he saw me and he heard about what who I was. Not that I was anyone famous, but I was just I was in great shape. I took care of my I took care of my avatar. I took care of my body, and passed out again in. In the, you know, I went from the ER to the ICU, woke up again, passed out again. And then my, I just kept remembering looking down at my body. I remember, you know, my good friend, Chris or city, he came in there. He came in from, he was in Thanksgiving in Florida. He came running through the door. He was there. Um, the kids, the kids really weren't around because they were 18 months and three years old and we wanted to keep them out. And then I remember, you know, hearing my parents my mother was a wreck, as you can imagine. Any mom and their son, you know, being a mom to three boys, it's not easy. It's so not easy. You, everyone feels helpless, and um, I was, I was failing. And so the next step he had to do was he had to um, put me to. They say, Sean, you're going to go to sleep for a while, and I couldn't talk. And and I was like, all I want to say is, just get, let me get out of this place. I want to fucking be on my own. Put me in hot yoga. Put me on the beach. Put me in my in my safe zone. I'll heal myself. But I couldn't talk. I could not talk. I was like, you know, put me down. And and here I am thinking I'm in San Diego. I wasn't. I was in Santa Barbara. I, my I didn't know where I was. And I was like, put me back in core power. You know, hot yoga. I'll go to hot yoga. I'll feel better. You know. And none of that was working. And they said you're going to go to sleep. And I was like, I don't want to go to bed. I I want to go run. I want to go run you know, three, eight minute miles, sub 25. Let's go right now. I had nothing. I, I couldn't even, my brain was protecting myself because it was, it was dying. My body was, was failing. So, so they say, you're going to go to sleep for a while. I didn't know that I was going to go to sleep for 10 days, 10 God awful days of my life. Everyone says you go into a coma and you just, Oh, you experienced nothing. That's such bullshit. You feel and you hear everything. Everyone thinks that you go under. No way. I I kept coming in and out of my body so many times. And and I was 185 pounds, which, you know, of muscle and vascular and healthy. 
in the 10 days, I dropped down to about 125 to 130 pounds. Wow. Which is not really normal. And I remember Stephanie, who's a dietitian, saying, we need to put more, we need to put more, we need to get more nutrition in him because I, I was just starting to decay. And I would hear um, my mom would come in and she would always like touch my face and, ru and run my beard at the time because it was November. And in November, they used to call it Movember because if you didn't shave, it was, it went for like, we don't, we, we were raising money for, I think it was men's prostate cancer or something. So I was having, I didn't have a full beard, but I had enough of a beard. My mother would come and go, we need to shave you. And I remember hearing her voice. remember hearing my dad's voice. remember hearing everyone's, everyone, even the nurses who were coming around and work on me. I, I couldn't see anybody, but I heard everything. I heard about their Christmas parties, their, their, their things, you know, cause it was right after Thanksgiving, all their chaos, all their drama. I kept hearing everything, but I kept coming in and out of my body several times. Like I was being pulled to the other side. And then every morning at five 30 in the morning, this doctor would run tests in me in like the bowels of the hospital. So they'd have to transport me downstairs and run these huge Dopplers on me and CT scans to see what kind of brain activity, what was actually happening. And that went on for about 10 days. And um, that didn't work. The coma did not work. They didn't know what else to do. So he came up with one last shot. He goes, I got one more shot for you guys. And that one last shot, he goes, I got to take a piece of a skull off his, he off his head. It's called a craniectomy. Who who does this? I mean, who who takes a skull off someone's head? And by the way, we're going to store it in his abdomen, in his fatty tissue, in his abdomen to preserve the bone. Have you ever heard of this? I've never heard of this. No, I mean, this is all this is all new for me. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just it's. Um, I thought it's, that when you went into a coma that that they, people couldn't hear. Well, they could hear you, but not to the extent that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. I um, So the craniac, so he decides to, well, first of all, I remember this doctor putting a feeding tube into me because um, and they, he missed the first time, missed hitting my stomach wall. He had to put it in again, and I kept feeling his pinches in my abdomen, but I was in a dream state because I was, I was in a separate dream all, all together. And then I remember them saying, hey, we, we have to take off a skull. And I here I am hovering over my body going, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? But I wasn't in any pain. And then the next thing I know, I'm waking up face down on the operating table as they're putting the skull back on my head, as they're suturing, not putting it back, they were suturing up my skull. I woke up in the in the OR under anesthesia. I don't know how this happened, but I can tell you exactly verbatim. If anybody ever wants a question, the lidocaine was coming off the right side of my face. And I remember them dropping a suture on the floor because I'm face down. I heard everything. And then when that happened, I went back to my room and, and I said to myself, I need to get back in my body. This is just, I got I got, I got work to do. Somehow, somewhere or someone another, I need to get back in my body and wake up and start start doing what I need to do because I didn't want to, it wasn't my time. So when you're out of your body, when you're having these like out-of-body experiences, is it, I'm, I'm thinking of like the movie Ghost, you know, mm -hmm. where he's actually, he's a full body. Like he's got the full body moving from one space to the other. Is that what it was like? 
I wasn't there yet because don't forget, he was dead. I wasn't dead. I was in the process of, of making my, making a move over to, to heaven. What held you here? What? What held you here? What was, what was the space of what was the, I, I can't go. I think I had a big, I think I had a bigger uh, purpose. I think the guy before this was collecting and building and creating and wanting so much more all to get, you know, all to get what I thought the love I needed from everybody around me. Cause if I had more, I did more, I created more than that's what I worked so hard for my life to build. Let me tell you something. You can have all the money in the world, all the houses, all the boats, all the surfboards, all the camping gear, Sarah, everything. You can't take it with you up to heaven. God doesn't need it. So what I learned is I learned after that just to be things, to keep things simple. Okay. So was there a pivotal, I mean, I had a pivotal in my trauma. I had a pivotal moment that I remember standing out and looking out and saying, literally like, oh shit, like this is, this is not even, this isn't even about me, right? Like there is something so much larger here working and it was my pivotal moment of I'm going to be fine. And I know what, what is ahead of me in terms of where I'm stepping mm-hmm. into this space. What was there a pivotal, was there like a moment where you looked at yourself and thought, saw yourself lying there where you thought, okay, I need, I know, like, I know, like I know that I need to go back into my body in order to help create this or to step into this purpose to change you know, whatever is needed to be changed in this world. Was there a pivotal space? And something tells me that there was. Yes. At that time, I, because I'm a fighter, I fought so hard. It to me, it was like, I need, I, it was, it wasn't a challenge per se, but I know, I know I had something, I know I needed to stay alive for my daughters at that moment. But I didn't have, I didn't have the aha moment until really, until about 2017, six years post, because the amount of trauma I went through after after all this was as horrific as the actual stroke itself. Because the recovery and the journey on the recovery, no one could ever understand. Because disability, I'm caught in a world like right now that that they'll never be again. I'm caught in a time play. I'm caught in a time of about 20 to 30 years. If we look back in time now from hundred years from now or 200 years from now, we will have science, we'll have stem cells, we'll have technology that there'll be no more spinal cord injuries, there'll be no more paralysis, there'll be no more stroke. So here I am waking up in a period of time where there are no answers. There's no solutions. You know, you have your MDs on one side who are gonna save your life. You have your therapists who are gonna help you to recover, but there's not that one single thing. So I ha- I've had to spend the last 10 years of my life really going through and 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 going on this journey up this mountain and climbing it and looking for everything I could to say, hey, this works over here, this works over here. Let me take everything that's going on and how do I make it work for myself? Plus I didn't have, there were no mentors. I, I had a couple of people who came in my life who really helped me to get through the psychological stuff and the emotional stuff, which is a lot, but no one really could tell me, hey, you're paralyzed on your left side. You have, you have massive aphasia. You, you're, you're having a trouble speaking. And, and understand too, at, at 39, my brain was that of a three-year-old child. A three-year-old child. I was in diapers. I was in diapers. I lost all dignity. I lost all self-worth. 
I lost all self-respect for my, I lost all self-respect. Here I am, this grown man, strong male, you know, involved with two big, two companies that were going from private to public. We took them from, you know, I think like four to five people up to 101 of them. It, It was, it was growing and it was great. And I was having the time of my life, employing people, working in the military. Shaquille O'Neal was one of my partners at the time in my tequila business. And things were really, you know, sound. And now all of a sudden you're left with someone's got to wipe my ass and, and feed me. Someone's going to help me. You know, I couldn't walk. They had to wheel me from a wheel, a wheelchair from my bed to the bathroom. I didn't know how to brush my teeth. I didn't, I didn't know my left or my right. I mean, people say, well, why me? I had that. I played victim for so long, but I had to fight through it because every step I moved, Every inch I gained was another foot, another yard. And I knew if I just kept adding up those steps, I would accomplish each goal. And in the beginning, I was, I, you know, I was, I went from Santa Barbara back down to San Diego, where I went back into what's called an inpatient post-acute care, which was my boot camp. They started off, they started me off early in the morning. Um, I wanted to be the first one up and the last one to go to bed. Bad move with a brain injury. I was like, hey, how do I get into that gym? And I'm barely able to talk. I couldn't even sit up straight. I I had no midline. And all I kept saying to them, get me into that gym. I had feeding tubes. I had I had a horseshoe of a head. I mean, I had 30 some stables in my head. I I I was I was weak. I was so weak. I couldn't even sit on the toilet because I know fat on my tush to hold me in place. I was bone on bone on my toilet. And then I couldn't, I couldn't put myself, they were trying to throw bedpans into me and catheters into me. I'm like, this is horrible. I want to get off of this. And my, and I was so skinny and so frail that everything hurt. So I was was fighting against my body, which atrophied so bad. And then my brain is that of a three-year-old kid. And all of a sudden the drugs are starting to wear off because I said, no more painkillers, get me off all those and take all these tubes out of me. Because if I'm going to heal, I need to go cold turkey. Bad move in the beginning. I should have slowly done it, but they were mitigating this the situation at the time. So they were helping me to reduce all that because I knew deep down inside if I was going to stay on all those drugs. And listen, Big Farm is great. It works for some people. It didn't really work for me because if you numb the brain at a certain point, then how's the brain going to heal? Right. And I didn't know much about the brain. I didn't know how. I mean, I read your book. You, you're more of a neuro geek than I was, or I still am. You seem to think that that was funny when you called me about that. You were like, oh my God, how do you know so much about the brain? And I was like, oh, I mean, I researched and I did wrote a book. So there's that. Yeah. And I had yeah. to learn a little bit about it. So there's that. Okay. So let's not even, there's something that you've, that you've also, you and I talked a little bit about, which is your emotional state, right? Let's not forget the fact that you're also literally traumatized by the fact that you went from this 39-year-old male, this man, ego, I'm not saying you had an ego because I didn't know you back then, uh, but I must, I would I would guess, I would have to gather that there was some ego involved. I you said, know? A, you know, I would say a healthy ego. I mean, hey, listen, ego. I I loved working with the military. I loved helping them. I loved, I loved my company. I loved, no. I loved, I loved employing people. I also love building, like the artist in me was always building, creating something new. I'm sure that, you know, I think a healthy ego, like, listen, you climbed up, you climbed up Baldy yesterday, right? I got healthy ego too. 
Yes, I did. It was Why'd like- you climb up Baldy at, at night and decide to have dinner overlooking the whole sunset? Uh, cause that six, was my six space. hours. That's my healing space. That's Good. Space. That's my, right. Space. And that's you my also space. love the challenge. I love the challenge. Well, you know what though, to be honest with you at this point, and this is my healthy ego stepping in, it's not really so much of a challenge for me right now. Not any longer. It was at one time though. Now, what do I do? I take myself into new challenges to keep pushing myself forward and building on my resilience. And so it's it's a it's a fascinating thing with with this because there's so much like that's traumatizing having this space of here you are this dad having this new child right your second new daughter and a wife and you have this beautiful home in you know San Diego living the dream because that's a dream by the way and then all of a sudden this happens and then you're placed yeah. into a space of okay, I can't even shit alone. So that's traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally yeah. as well. Spiritually. I mean, did you have any spiritual trauma? Uh, of course. Of course. But let's go back one step further. Here I am having my freedom, right? With everything. And now I'm, confi- I'm confined to white walls in a hundred square foot space that I couldn't even move. I couldn't get out of bed myself. I couldn't transfer from my bed to my chair, to my wheelchair. And then to real to wheel around the that floor of where I was and to go around and realize, hey, I'm the youngest person here. This mm-hmm. doesn't feel so right. My my mortality was sitting was sinking in. And I kept wanting to go, 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 go. And what I really needed to do was pace myself. Oh, and I needed not too good at what, what something you weren't too good at. I get that. <laughs> um, using myself, probably not. I, I just, you know, I, I look back now and I've told people this is all self-induced. I needed to go through this journey as hard as it was. It's made me more compassionate, a lot more empathy now, and a lot more just understanding and to be a listener. You know, I think before I was just, I was, I, I was a motor, my, my nickname as a kid was Motorman. I didn't stop. I always went, you know, I always joke around as being, um, you know, working my wrestlers or working with my jujitsu guys. If there's a door or a wall, we're not gonna wait for the door to open. We're going to go right through that wall. You know, and that's how I thought, I'm like, I'm not waiting for that door to open. Here we go. I'll climb through that door. I'll jump over that fence. I'll get to the other side. Now I'm going to wait for that door to open up. By the way, for those people that don't realize this, this happened to you at 39 and you're now how old? 50. Uh Uh-huh. So my trauma happened at 40 and I'm 50, 49. So I'm almost 50. I'll be 50 next year. And so we're, we graduated the same year, right? From, from college. And so we're pretty much in that same space. Uh, So And I wonder about the same thing because it seems to me that everything happens every 10 years in my life. And I've often wondered like, is this like a self-induced, is this like a, a, you know, my journey of, of needing to, to, to hit that in order to learn more deeply and to grow into the person that I'm here to become. I don't know. It's lots, it's a lot of reflection there. So you are in white walls, not too creative in that space and that's like no. out of everything eating being forced hospital food we're trying to get healthy food into my room 
you know, for my mom, my mom bringing me in food all the time, you know, Stephanie, my ex-wife bringing me in food all the time. But I was like, I was going stir crazy. I was going batshit crazy. I mean, it was like, I wanted to be outside. I wanted to run. I wanted to put my feet in the sand. I wanted to get wet. I wanted to climb. I wanted to do. And here I am not being able to do anything. Almost being like almost being confined to prison or jail cell for for a, a crime I didn't commit, mm. and the whole time, my my head is hurting so badly because I was so badly inflamed, and I understand that the way th- the stroke happened was the reason why they did the craniectomy was because my brain was trying to come out of my head skull, so they literally had to take a piece of my skull off the size of a horseshoe, off my head, started my abdomen. And I didn't. What I didn't forgot to tell you is that five days after I woke up from that from from being on that on that on that surgical table, five days after that, when I came out of came out of the coma, um, when I came out of that, let me go back. Do you want to you jump back for a second? Please, yes, jump back. Okay, okay. So I um, when I came out of the coma, this was really interesting. I saw, I was able to go into my body and help push this. Because I was, I had a feet, I had tubes going down, you know, I was on a ventilator and I almost, I went into my body, helping them to push this thing out. And I remember them pulling it all out of my mouth and I had not had any food in minimum of 10 days, could have been even more. And I woke up and everything was just wrong. I mean, everything just, I was just like everything. I just couldn't even, I mean, it was just. And then, because I was on so many drugs, I looked over, my my dad was there. He was one of the first people, and my buddy Chris, and Stephanie, I think, was with, was with the kids. And I kept going to my dad this. I kept doing five, two, and with a thumbs up. And he's like, what? Because I couldn't speak. Because after being in a coma for 10 days, what they want to do is they want to give you a tracheotomy. They want to cut money open and throw a trach down on me. And when that guy said to me, you know, my right arm still worked. I was like, and I couldn't speak. So I grabbed his arm. And I think I grabbed the scalpel when, when he was holding, I was like, you're not putting anything more in my body. Tell me what I got to do. And he goes, you got to breathe. And I didn't inflate my lungs and keep breathing, keep breathing because I did not want any more holes put into me. I, I was done with having scars. I was like, get me out of here. And I remember looking over at my dad and the, and I was so thirsty. And for some reason I was done. I was, I was craving seven up. So I kept, I couldn't talk. So I kept going five, two up. He didn't understand. Huh. And so that's what I kept going five, two up. And finally he says, I can't give you anything because the problem is after being in a coma for 10 days, they have to put you through what's called a barium swallow. Because if you put food in your throat, it can go into your lungs and you can choke on your food. So they had to put an x-ray, x-ray. They had to put a whole list of things. Bottom line is I couldn't eat for another another like three to four days after that and the pump being insured into my body and all this crazy stuff. And I was on morphine. I was on Dilaudid. I was on every SSR, every drug known to big farm. I was in there. Paralytics were coming out. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And then finally my lips were all dry. They can, my, my mom was able to put a cotton swab with something cold on it and run my lips with Vaseline. Cause I was chapped. I was like, crusty i was just i looked terrible it was just a, i was just a hot mess i was a hot mess <laughs> and um then i did then then they said to me we, we can't keep you here because you live in san diego and i didn't understand that i was like what do you mean i thought i'm home 
just take me. I let's let's I figure let's just someone drive me back, someone drive me to the next place. They're like, you can't do anything. And then I said, What do you mean? And, and they're like, You have my so, so I'll sit up for you. I don't know if this is gonna be audio or video, but I kept falling to my right because I know left. So if you have no left, you keep leaning the right for everything. So I, I had no midline. And the, the holidays were coming up and they were all, my mother decided to have a little party at her house with all my friends. And my speech started coming back. And I said to my doctor, can I at least go to, to this Christmas party at my house or the Hanukkah party? He goes, Sean, you're in their shape to do anything. You can't go anywhere. You're here for a little while. And he was trying to be, and we started joking. We started having fun because my speech started coming back where he was able to do with my brain because it was this part of my brain. He kept my speech intact, which was, which was great. My speech was able to come back slowly, even though I stuttered and stammered and when I had aphasia, I was able to communicate somewhat. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and then five days later, they had to put me back under and put the skull back on my head. And I fought them. I was like, I do not want to go back because I, because I did not want to go back to that. I was thinking I was going back to my coma and have another out, out, out of body experience. And I did not want to go there because it was so tough on me. But they did that and then came out of that thing after my skull's back on my head. Um, and then I was up there for another. I transported from Santa Barbara to San Diego on January the 5th, the day I turned 40, in the ambulance on the 405 freeway on a Friday afternoon. Oh, holy hell. Yes. For those that don't know, the 405 on a Friday afternoon down to San Diego is the worst possible place to go. From Santa Barbara, which is two hours, which is like... Yeah. Oh, why didn't they put you in a freaking helicopter? Here's what's so great about insurance. They tried to get me out of the hospital sooner because they, they said, because, you know, they tried to get me, they tried to kick me out of the hospital sooner. My insurance did with my skull still in my abdomen. They're like, oh, he's, he's safe. Send him back home. So my doctors, my dad, my health insurance uh, broker had to fight my insurance company because they were like, excuse me, this is how mess up our system is. Wow. My skull is in my abdomen. I'm paralyzed completely. My whole body is really paralyzed. My left side is really um, and they want to send me and they wouldn't even pay. They, they, and, and they don't want to pay for an ambulance. So we were figuring out how to, I mean, not that we weren't going to do it, we, you know, we figured it out, but, but that, that ambulance ride, I'm, I'll tell you, I'll remember the ambulance ride from Santa Barbara to San Diego. Thank God I had health insurance. I think it was 40 some thousand dollars. Holy shit. I'm not actually not surprised. That's five million it, it, over the course of all this time. It's easily over $5 million, probably closer to six for all the things I, I went through. But listen, it saved my life. You know, it's like, what's the price to walk again? I tell everybody it's priceless. Did you ever have a moment where you just thought, I'm done, I'm out? I just check it out. I don't need to be this. I can. Yes. The cost is too high for. I did. I did. When I came, when I came back down to San Diego and and I was, um, I went from, I went from, no, I'm sorry. I went from Santa Barbara down to San Diego in post-acute care. So I was in post-acute care probably for about six to seven weeks of living in that, in that hospital and learning how to do everything again. Learning how to, you know, take care of my bathroom stuff, learning how to feed myself, learning how to shave, learning how to eat, learning how to brush my teeth. Because when I went to brush my teeth, 
my toothbrush couldn't find my mouth. I kept missing it. I didn't know, I couldn't identify with mouth, with, with hand to mouth. We learn everything as babies by doing this, by doing this. I lost all of it. By, by taking your hands and literally feeling stuff, right? That's how we do this as babies. And so here I am, you know, and then, and then this, and then I'm never six to eight, eight, you know, I'm there. And the first neuropsychiatrist who got a hold of me in San Diego said, um, okay, you're, you're blind in your left eye. Your brain is dead and get ready to be here for a while. And I looked at her. I started speaking again. This was a couple of weeks in. I grabbed her. I tried to grab her right by the neck and said, don't ever tell me I can't do anything. And you're fired. And I fired her. So I told my niece, who is now an ER nurse, about this story. And she was just, she laughed. She's like, of course, of course. Of course you would fire somebody that tells you you can't do something. Of course you would. And good for you for firing them and saying, you're not in my space. You don't belong here. Yeah. And, and, and I said, bring me in a whole team of people who tell me I can. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, learning to walk from, you know, a one-handed cane to four people assisting me to a, a three-pronged cane to a two-pronged cane, just to a walker holding onto a wall. And at the end of that, of that, of that center, I walked out of there. And I think I flipped, I flipped her the bird. I saw that nurse, like, and I flipped her the bird. I was like, look at me. And I just flipped her the bird. Because, you know, I deserved it. I deserved it. It wasn't proving. It was just what it is. is about telling people anything is possible. Don't tell me something's impossible. You break it down. The word impossible only means I am possible, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then that mindset kicked in. And as I was walking, as I started walking through the hospital, this woman had, was was always sitting on one of these benches, and I remember her sitting there, and I remember seeing a sign that said said, said that God says you can do anything. God says that you can, you can, you can, you shall, you will, or whatever it was, or you can, you shall, you must, whatever it was. I took that phrase and I made it into my own, and I said, you know what? I kept repeating myself, I can, I shall, I will, those first steps, and I kept putting that mantra in my head saying, I can do anything. I can make this all happen. Plus also the fact that my military friends would come in and just, you know, work me and say, don't be soft now, get mustered up. Come on, you're coming back. And um, I fought my way back. So how did this, if you don't mind diving into this, it's fine. If not, totally fine too. We all know that going through any type of trauma affects not only ourselves, it affects our family members. Sure. It affects our relationships. It affects our community, our work, everything, our friendships, Mm -hmm. like literally everything, our kids. How has this changed your space? Like what I like to call the home. Sure. Okay. So, so I can answer that by, by adding on to the story. So I discharged early from that first hospital, um, the post-acute rehab facility in San Diego. I go back home realizing that it was too soon. Mm-hmm. I couldn't push a button and have a nurse come and couldn't push a button to get food. I come back home. Stephanie's got one child on her breasts, another child who wants to hold me, a barking dog who's mine. And I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. I'm in the, I'm, you know, and I have a new, I have a whole new team of therapists because every time you leave, you go to one place or you leave another place 
the system starts to fail you because none of the nurses talk, none of the therapists talk to each other. So if I have a speech therapist in Santa Barbara in the ICU, I moved to San Diego, there's two different speech therapists. Now I go from San Diego inpatient rehab back home. They're gone. They're not talking. So there's no one really being a head coach and connecting all the dots. So every time I went somewhere new, so I came back home and that was tough. And then I lived right on the Sunset Cliffs. And I remember calling my friend Chris. I said, you know what? I'm willing out of here. I'm going off. I will for somehow. Oh, I started walking a little bit. I do remember. I was able to walk. I started walking in my house, holding on to couches and holding on to TVs and took, taking a couple of falls, but I got back up. And I said, you know, if I just keep walking a little bit more every day, then I'll get better and I'll get better. Finally, I reached it. I was able to walk up my stairs. When they first brought me back home, it took five people to walk me up the stairs. They actually wanted me to move. They wanted me to, they had to move my bed downstairs because I couldn't walk the stairs. So me knowing what I know now, I was like, oh, there's stairs in my house. I'll, 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 I'm going to go crush those stairs. They're saying I can't walk them for a month. Hell no. I figured it out that weekend. Bad move. Bad move. And all along, I kept hurting myself because I wasn't allowing myself to take a break and healing. My body went through so much uh, trauma that one day I called Chris and I said, I'm done. And he goes, where are you? I said, I'm overlooking the sun. I'm overlooking the cliff. And he goes, don't you dare move. And Sarah, he couldn't get to me, but three of my other buddies uh, got to me. And just as I was looking over at the edge, I saw this young guy with his kids on the beach below me playing with his, playing with his daughters. And I said, if I do this now, I'll never know them. And I was right there overlooking. And I was like, all it took was one more step. And I'd fall 40 feet into the, over the cliff, into the rocks where the waves were going to break. And I was looking for anything, anything to get out of this body. Cause it was just physical pain, emotional pain, trauma pain. And going through the going through so much i mean the trauma upon the trauma it's like and not to compare mine to anyone else because everyone will go through it but it's like how do you even my worst trauma was okay you know five people have to come into the, into the bathroom with me and hold me to go poop i can't go poop i mean i haven't pooped in in three weeks this is going back to the into post-acute care i didn't i hadn't had a poop probably i'm talking about poop right now for two months because i have so much narcotics in my body because everything was backed up i feel i was giving birth to a child from my tush and they're telling me to go if i don't go they're gonna have to you know give me uh a colon or a throw liquid up there and i was like and they're all telling me go right now and they're sitting around me holding me and they gave and they put a lap belt around me to hold me against well i'm ex my belly's extended out to here they have a belt around me and they're telling me that my i'm just in major pain and they're saying you got to go to the bathroom. If you don't, we're going to have to probably go in there and do something else. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. Get out of here. Leave me alone. I just wanted, I wanted my own space. Yeah. I wanted my own freedom. And then bringing that back home, no one deserves this. You didn't, No one signs up for this. This, you know, this breaks up marriages. Eventually it, it broke our, it broke ours up. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. I am. Yeah. And how 
has that, and I hate it when people ask me this because people ask me this all the time about my kids. How are your kids doing? How are, how is your family doing with everything? Uh, just a broad, give somebody, give, give, give our listeners a little bit of hope. Sure. Okay. So, so before, sure. So before this, before any of this happened, I was the guy who had one kid on his chest and then Bjorn, one kid on the shoulders. We're off to SeaWorld. We're off to the zoo. We're off to the beach. I'm running around. I'm, I'm great. You know, everything's fine. I now come back home and I can't even take my first steps and I can't hold my daughters. I can't change their diapers. I, I'm, I was born to be a father. I'm a great dad. I was born to do this. I love being in the father. I love being around. It was Stephanie. And I, you know, you know, with them and broke me. It fucking just broke me. I don't know if I answered that question completely, but. Well, it broke you. And how is everybody today? Savannah's now 15. Shiloh's now 12. And I think they've become stronger and better. And that whole thing caused a ripple effect where things have happened now with my kids that they're better off now. Well, I would not even know if they're better off at everything was safe, but everything happened just the way God wanted. Yeah. Yes. I became someone new. I became known as the stroke hacker. Why go out and help people recover from brain injury and from uh, trauma, mostly with stroke or spinal cord, even now too, or, or, or whatever it is. I work with military. I work with a lot of different people, but I found the new me. And I think my kids are realizing that. Well, and this is this is why I wanted to, as a parent as well, this is why I wanted to dive into this with you because I didn't ask for any of this shit. You didn't ask for any of this shit. None of us do. People that go through divorce, they they, you know, lose loved ones, they have all this crap. It doesn't here's the thing that I I also had sat with was the fact that when I was younger, when I was a parent at a young age, and I thought, oh, when I'm in my 40s, this is what it's going to look like. When I'm in my 50s, this is what it's going to look like. Exactly the freaking opposite of what I thought it was going to look like. And I think it's really important that we as trauma survivors also understand that this is an opportunity for us to also mentor and show our kids this different way of parenting than what we thought that it was going to be like and that it doesn't make it wrong it doesn't make it bad it's a beautiful space to be in actually and it gives them the opportunity to also dive into look crap's going to happen to them in their life right like things are going to happen to them and they can actually overcome it as well the thing that i love about your story is the fact that you stepped in and a lot of people step out instead mm-hmm. of taking the finger and putting the blame on everybody else of why did this happen to me? How did like, why me? Right. Or, or blaming other people for things that have happened. You didn't, there's not been one time that since I've met you, I haven't known you for that long, but there hasn't been one time where you haven't said, I don't blame anybody. This is something that I am have stepped into. I'm I'm owning, I'm walking through, and I'm helping other people. And there are so many people that don't do that. They step out, they take the blame, they take their blame and they 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 shove it onto everybody. 
and they don't step into that space of I'm going to do something better because of this. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. You I know, commend you for our, that. well, thank you. Our good friend, oh. Sam Morris taught me, don't look at it. Don't look at it as why me look at it as why not me. Yeah. I've and that resonate and that resonates yeah. with me big time. Cause it's like, now I have a power to create smiles and help people through this. Cause I wish I would have had a me back in the day. Amen. I'm sure you, Myself included, I wish I would have had a me back in the day that could have said, look, you're not alone. This isn't going to take over your life. It's going to become a part of who you are, but it doesn't, it doesn't say that this is who you are. Um, And I think that that's one of the most powerful things that you can do. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, it just, um, and add on to it it's um i had to recreate everything i was i built everything from nothing at the age of 40 here i am now looking back going i'm supposed to be much further along i'm supposed to have all this stuff and all this great things and it's like i'm just look you know there's all those moments it's like where the last 10 years go the last 10 years go have prepared me for what i'm about to launch and that's launching next month or in two months it's like the new me I'll always be the entrepreneur. I'll always be the marketing guy, you know, the guy who connects people and the connector. But I was forced to really go inside and heal for so long. And a lot, a lot, a lot of, you know, people see it in me, but people may not see it in you. And we've talked about this. Have Cam- comment- that? Yes. Go. Your, you can, floor is yours. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the trauma... For me, it's easy. They see me coming in and they're like, okay, he's got a limp. He doesn't have much use of his left arm, but it's coming back. It's all coming back. It will. And it is. However, you know, I'm easy to look at and spot, you know, and say, and they'll often ask me well, what happened to you. And, and then I'll, I'll either tell them or I'll joke around and say, don't go to, don't go, don't go swimming in the ocean because those great whites will get a hold of you. But then you should see what I did that great white. Or if you go to Alaska and you get in a fight with a polar bear, I, you know, that's happened too, but I always make fun. I always have humor to it. But the point is about this with the trauma that you might go through or some of my vendors who are going through, you may not see it. And that's the most invisible trauma. That's what the world's going through right now. We're losing 50 veterans a day to suicide because we cannot spot them in a crowd. It's easy to spot someone walking around with a limp or inside of a chair, the wheelchair or with a, with an assisted something, whether, whether it's a cane or something, Oh, this guy's got a cane. He must, something must've happened to him. But what about all those billion, a billion people out there who walk walking around and they don't want to, and they don't know how to handle it. And yeah. that pressure causes them. It causes dis-ease, which causes disease and causes I think our brain, you know, our nervous system can go into hyperdrive and the cortisol levels will shoot off and it'll put us into an inflammation state and cause us to really wreak havoc on ourselves. And that's come, and that's caused from stress, undue stress. And I, you know, after talking to you, I was like, wow, you know, it's not about my trauma or your trauma and whose is worse or who's, and and I know we joke about it, you know, who trauma is worse. We do. We joke about this. I'm like, we're just kind of, we're just kind of cute, but you know what? I think you have, I think you, I think you have a much worse. I don't want to be in your shoes. You don't want to be my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I look at you. I look at you and go, okay. 
And wow. I look at you and I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. No, I get it. But but there's but I think it's it's a challenge. And one of my mentors has said to me, and I'll put I'll pay tribute to Brett Jones. Um, he says, You don't know what life is until you in, in, incur enough pain. Wow. And I don't, and I don't wish anyone to incur that much pain, but you don't know what living is like until you go through your own trauma. Mm-hmm. No, no. To it's- appreciate and to understand and to love who you are. Cause I had to fall in love with myself. I probably was in love with myself pre 39. Cause I wasn't in my own body. I wasn't in my own. I wasn't, my head was disconnected. Elsewhere. Yeah. Disconnected. Yeah. Disconnected. So that's interesting uh, because, or that word fascinating that, you know, I love to use. It's fascinating because I, I loved me when, you know, before 40, I did. I loved me. I loved, I loved what I did. I loved being a mom. I loved, I had a teacher, like I freaking loved it. I love being a wife. Um, But then you know, post everything, I think what happened for me, it was this space of slowing down in a way, even though I know we've had this discussion of, I still need to slow down even more, which I'm working on. Uh, it's this space though, of, of a complete alignment. So mm. it's not, it's not like brains over here, hearts over there, bodies over here, spiritual is over there. Uh, it's not compartmentalizing of it. It's more of a complete alignment of it of, okay, who am I? So that when I close my eyes and take that last breath, that I can look back and say, this is who she was. Do you mind if I say something or, or comment on that? Because uh, you said, because, because you said, when I take my last breath, how about if we reframe that and we say, when I take my next breath? Oh, Oh shit, Sean. That's good. <laughs> because you don't know when your last breath is coming. Okay. It's not up to it's not up to you to, to decide that. Well, I I I think about when I'm well, I think I'm gonna live to 100. I get it, I get it. But you know, we're talking That's about the present state, and I love that. Right. right. Ah. Because if you really think about it, we're both not supposed to be here. No, us, both of us, not at all, for many, many reasons. And it's really to the pure fact of, and not getting so philosophical and going way out there, but it's like, imagine you said alignment. Now my soul is in alignment with my body. Mm-hmm. And I was never running from anything. I was running. I've always been a disruptor. I ran, I, I would run towards resistance, but how much, how much can you run towards resistance until, until you get slammed across something? Right. Something was bound to happen to me. And it did. I've always played big. If I'm going to do something, oh, sure, Sean's going to get hurt. I wasn't playing, you know, I, I took on the giant of getting hurt. I'm like, and I'm tired of getting kicked in the head anymore. I don't want to get kicked in the head. And I want to teach people not to get kicked in the head. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and where I was at was always, I, I, there's a lot of play in me, as we all know. Anybody that knows me and follows me, that's, you know, that's just how I am. And there was a lot of creativity and a lot of uh, a lot of putting myself into situations that unfortunately I got hurt. And now being able to look and say, oh, that's that's I mean, we could get so philosophical with this, but that's also keep going. 
keep going. All right. So I was on a conversation with uh, a client this morning and I was telling her, I said, I believe that the traumas that we incur right now in this present state are not only ours. They are also traumas that have happened from, if it's our mother, our father, our generational patterns that have happened long before us. So if you really think about it, when I was pregnant or when my mom was pregnant with me, whatever was happening in her life was also, if it was any traumatized related, it was also on more of a energetic space, right? It was also happening to me. Her feelings and emotions were affecting me as an unborn child as well. Right. So now I look back at, and especially since my mom just passed, how has also, as I was raised and as I witnessed and watched, and as she mentored me and taught me along the way, how much of her traumas in life did I also take on unbeknownst to me, right? Or subconsciously, unconsciously. Now I look back and I can see where my choices and decisions weren't always mine. Some of them I know were also uh, because of this uh, energetic state, right? That I was also carrying. And uh, I believe that it's our present person right here. You, me, the people going through the things that they're going through that have this opportunity to stop that, right? And to actually transform it, transcend it into something powerful and beautiful and good. And I do believe that through our own personal healing, you're not only healing yourself, you're healing those people that were in our life or are in our life. If it's our children, if it's our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our community, and also those that are going to be coming into our life. So. I love that. Let's go one step further. Do you oh, mind? Sure. We got all this time in the world. <laughs> no, and, and no, we don't have, I mean, because no, I, I can. Want to. I love okay, it. okay, because I just found I, I just found out recently that my my family is Ukrainian. What? Yes, we're from Odessa and Kiev. Damn. So we escaped communism. We say we escaped uh, Russia. We, I don't know how, and, and the concentration camps and everything else, and a lot of it from both sides of the family. And my dad's family ended up on a boat coming over to Mexico, landing in Mexico City and crossing the border. My dad's parents did. Wow. And my grandfather lost a kidney on the boat coming over. So all these things happen. And we look back in time how my mother and my father's parents met, had, had my, my dad's parents, how they even stayed alive through the elements, the weather, the, the the nutrition the war they produced my dad and, and two other and you know and two other siblings and they all had fa- and they all had families my mother's parents did the same thing so here my mom and my dad meet how did they even make it and they have my sister and I I mean think about their trauma and then my grandfather my mom's dad goes off he was he was in the war I think he was he was in the navy World War II he made it through that and then. He comes back with all of his PTSD, you know, because we didn't even know how to treat that back in the, you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s or 70s. He went to, he was in World War II. How did they, how, how, how was my mom and dad even alive to me? And then to give birth to my sister and I, how are we even alive? People yeah. don't realize about how we're even here. And we're talking about like, oh, you know, 
no, because no one wants to trace this back. But as you're talking about your trauma from your mom, it didn't start with your mom. It started with your no, mom's parents, my mom's, my mom's grandparents, yeah. my dad's grandparents. Mm-hmm. And then the, and then, and then we came around. It's all in our system. Yeah. You know, and what I'm saying is that everyone, people just take for granted, like, oh, we're all here right now. No one wants to take a dive back and go, how did I ever get here? Yeah. Well, that's the beauty and the awe. Like how blessed are we to actually even be here? Right. When you really dive into it. Right. Exactly. So, so you and I fought through a living hell to live life to the fullest. So we can then not, not only support our own kids, our own kids, but, but we're here to take care of our children's children. Yeah. Our children's children, because that's what's going to happen next. And all the people that we can touch, move, and inspire through our our challenges. Because you and I are the lucky ones who made it through this. We're kind of like, I look at us as like superhumans and not to have an ego, but we sure deserve, we sure deserve to be looked at and to be and to be admired in a way that we can do good now. And not from a place of ego, not from a place of arrogance, because we're both self, you know, we're both. Is a, I'm I'm blanking. Not selfless. We're both selfless. We're 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 not. Yeah. We're both givers, and now we both want to go out there and give and bring back and do and love and create. But we're here for a reason. Yeah. And I tell everybody who I meet who's been through some trauma, give it a little bit of time. Let's get through the dark night of the soul. Let me help you to get through this tough period. Like your client, like my clients are going through some really tough stuff at the moment. You know, and that's why I want to build a community online, a big one, a big support group, a global support group, which I'm doing at the moment, because I want these people to be able to share their stories and I want them to be recognized because those people I'm going to teach to then give back and be of service to others. Yeah. Damn. I'm so glad I swiped. <laughs> Just like here that's I all is. And then, right. And then, yeah. I but love that's these conversations. What, I love these conversations. But, but that's what it's all about. I mean, everything. What else matters at times? It's like you know, we're I, all we're all driving and doing and going and being. It's like I tell you know, I told one of my clients, he got run over by a jet ski, and he is he is double vision, and he has trouble seeing. Not going to mention any names. And I said to him, he's a young kid. He just went back to college now. Um, and when I first got a hold of him, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach you to see without those eyes. Mm. And he didn't know how to even be. He was like, I want to see again. I want to, I'm like, give it, give up all these things of what you think you need. What if I told you the human body is amazing and you have other senses in the body. You can feel, you can smell, you can taste, you can hear everything else. All, all of our other senses will then come together and create that per- everything what you need at that moment and i tell him a line and now he calls me and we talk he's like and because he was in a bad space and i want you and he's looking and he's he's 19 or 20 he's all about self-worth and self-looking looking good and he's you know you can't even tell he hasn't had an issues but in his eyes he doesn't see himself body dysmorphia you know and everything else and i said to him i said listen i want you to repeat these words who fucking cares <laughs> i know i don't know if they're swearing a lot on the show but have you stopped caring about what other people think 
and let it just go, then you can do anything you want. You can accomplish anything. Yeah. You climbed up the mountain yesterday and you climbed up the mountain in what? Shorts and, and a USC a t-shirt. You don't care how you look up there. You're just oh, going to climb the mountain. I sent you a picture and you were like, what the heck? And I said, I don't, I don't care. Like, I just don't care. I just, I, I think that the gift of living through all of this is literally that I just don't care. I don't care about the judgments or the, or how people are going to perceive, or I just, I know who I am. And if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I continue to evolve as a human being and as a woman as well, as a mom, as a sister, as a daughter, I continue evolving because that's what we are meant to do. So can I tell you something? The world needs more of you. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. The world more. And I think I said this to you earlier. I said, to know Sarah is to love Sarah. And the more she can give her love on the community, the better the world's going to be. Thank you. And, and you always, you're, and you always wear your heart on your, on your sleeve. However, you're the first one to tell you, tell it like it is. And that's what's needed because we have to show up and we have to be honest and truthful and stand in our power. Thank you. And then help others to do the same. You know, I think that the, the, when we sat that night and um, it was you, Sam and I, and we were laughing about whose trauma was bigger and whatever. And I said, oh yeah, well, you can't see mine. And that really actually, that, that hit, that hit to actually say that out loud to somebody was a big one for me because, you know, I think that unfortunately so many of us just keep showing up in our body, right? Without actually going deep into who am I and what have I experienced and showing that as well and saying, you know, I need to, I need to sit with me a little bit more and yeah. I need to find out a little bit more about myself and I need to heal a little bit more and I need to be a little bit more and I need to, you know, just love myself a little bit more and yeah. go a little bit deeper there. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it's been, it's been, a, it's been, since mom passed, I think that that's been one of the biggest gifts that she has given me. In fact, I sat with her today having that conversation. And I literally said to her, thank you, because I know that she's guiding me into that space of not, like I said, not only healing more of my own life, but also taking care of some things that, that I realized that needed to get taken care of in her life. And then also for the kids and the grandkids and their kids moving forward. Exactly. Let me ask you a question. Bring the it. Trauma, the trauma word. I don't want to be a trauma survivor. I don't even like that word. I hate, I, I want to be, I want to be, uh, I want to be able to be good and to be okay with where I'm at. Yeah. Have I, have I been through some challenges? Yeah. Have I bounced back? Absolutely. So can I, do you mind if I go there? Please go there. This yeah, is your yeah. show. I'm not controlling this. But sometimes I, sometimes I, uh, I, I, I like to ask that because here's my, here's my thought on that word trauma. I had somebody say that to me. They said, uh, I hate that word. That's such a dumb, like I, I hate it because it's a label and it labels me. And, you know, here's what I'm going to say. I never associated myself as a trauma victim, survivor, or thriver from it until uh, somebody said it to me. They said, well, you've lived through a lot. Like that's what you've lived through is very traumatizing. And I'm going to call it what it is. It was fucking traumatizing. Like I'm going to call it what it is. 
it was the, like, I wouldn't work. I wouldn't put what I walked through. I would never want somebody to have to go through that. It was, it was brutal. And to say brutal is an understatement. And so to not also to avoid that word and to avoid that term is also avoiding what you've actually gone through in my, mm-hmm. in my space, okay. in my okay. space. Okay. Now here's the thing. I don't want to be known as anybody, but Sarah, I don't want to be known as I, I just want people to see me for me. And that means every part of me, including the, the, yes, the traumatizing part that I went through, but also the adventurer, the lover, the, you know, the person who loves to have fun and climb mountains and put red heels on and dresses and twirl. Like I want all parts of it. That yes, I did live through some deep shit and so do other people. And let's just call it what it is. It's freaking traumatizing. Uh I'm not, I don't like to, I don't like to, uh, and this is where my team and I also go back and forth on this because they're like, well, you know, but you got to like accept or not accept, but but it's okay to stand there and say, yeah, I'm a trauma survivor. I don't even really, yes, I am. I am a very resilient woman, a thriver from the deepest shit that anybody should ever have to go through, uh, who wants others to step into that space as well beside me, right? Beside me blazing trails for other people and continuing on. I would say though, that somebody actually saying to me, you're a, you're Sarah, what you're experiencing is trauma was one of the most life altering things for somebody to actually say to me, because I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I had no idea. I was in so much complex PTSD that I didn't even know that I was in trauma. And it, Mm. it took, it took Dorit to actually say to me, that's my old therapist and now my colleague and one of my dear, dear friends. It took her to say to me, what you're experiencing is trauma for me to go, holy shit. That's why I, that's why I am. That's why I'm feeling this way. That's why I'm in fight or flight. That's why I'm in free. That's why I don't know what to do. That's why I'm literally mm-hmm. so disconnected from my head. My brain was offline that I was literally running into lampposts when I was out on my runs. I had no idea. And so for me, that word actually, in a way, transformed my story into acceptance of, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, now I get it. Now, Now I got, now I understand why I went to a bottle of wine on New Year's Eve and landed in the bushes smoking cigarettes with the girlfriends when I don't even smoke. You know what I mean? Like, that's and and it was this space of I was in so much pain that I needed to numb and I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. But I needed somebody to give me a lifeline, and a part of that lifeline was her saying, "Give yourself a break. You're in trauma." So that's my two cents. Thank you for letting me go there. I've got a question for you because you said a whole bunch there. Yeah, is Sarah right now able to feel love or to be loved? Yes. <laughs> I will say, I will say that for all of you listening to this, thank you, Sean, for putting me on Mark's show, which will be coming out. Dr. Mark Golston did a number on me, which is great. And I love him for it. Like he is damn good. Um, and, uh, and come back to my question. Come back to my question. 
Yeah, I am. Because I, you I, said acceptance, loved all the trauma, and now you're a survivor. You're a thriver and not, and not a survivor. But Sarah of today, is she able to feel loved and to be loved? Yes, she's working on it. And if, and this is this is where the the show comes in because what I realized we are so over time but we're going to keep going here because uh, this is really important. Um, what I've realized through my own experience, and this is what this is what Mark actually said to me on that show was sitting with that seventeen year old girl and not running from her or not not running so fast that she's not seen. And that 17 year old girl was in so much pain and I didn't, I didn't realize, right. Like I'm, I'm finally sitting with that. I sat with her today. I did a couple of things today that I was very proud of that nobody needs to know, but I'm still doing the work too. Right. Cause it's personal. I, uh, I share, there are some things that I do hold very close to my heart and I sat with her today and it's the space of, um, she was, she was in so much pain and didn't have the opportunity to actually heal, which only got her into that next set round of traumas. And when those next set of round of traumas, right, this is where we start to look at our patterns, continue on, we re-traumatize some part of ourself. My 17-year-old self had been re-traumatized many times. And I, as a woman today at 49, am like, okay, it's time that I sit a little bit more with her. Eliana and I were talking about this on the mountain last night because there are so many parts of ourselves within our life that we avoid. We're really good at avoidance, us humans, right? And so being able to now sit with her at this space, 49-year-old, 17-year-old, it's pretty damn powerful. And the other thing that all trauma survivors learn to do is receive again. If it's receiving help to go shit on the toilet, right? Like you were talking about, or if it's receiving compliments, words of affirmation, people doing things for us, people holding doors, people, yeah, you're laughing right now, Sean. And, and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, it's a really, uh, trauma survivors are uh, those of us that have experienced difficult things where we've been hurt to the core of who we are or to the core of the core of the core of who we are receiving can be something that's very difficult because we've been hurt and it's easier to avoid. So I, Hey, listen, for me to go on Bumble that night was like, I mean, I told my clients this, we, we talked about it and they were like, you went on a what? And I said, I know, I know I'm, I'm branching out there. I'm meeting some pretty cool people. So there you go. And the big thing is too, is you're surrendering, you're letting go and you're letting God work. Mm-hmm. which most people trauma or no trauma to people don't know how to surrender because when you let go and you just allow things to happen organically, then it's beautiful. I was a control freak for a number of years and I would be the very first person to admit that I would be the very first person to admit that I loved to, uh, and I'm not everything, not everything, but I, I was that person where I liked things a certain way. And it wasn't that it always needed to be my way or the highway. I just had things a certain way. And uh, I have completely given up, not completely, but I'm getting there. I've given up control on an awful lot of stuff. So surrendering. You're doing great. You're doing great. 
And just love yourself and keep going. Cause that's what I tell everybody. Just be proud of who you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. You're doing great too. Thank you. I receive. <laughs> um, can I plug anything or no? Yes. Plug, plug. Well, first of all, uh, let's do this. Let's leave our listeners with one last uh, words of wisdom from Sean, this incredible person. Give us, give us some words of wisdom. Oh, wow. Um, walk towards your fear. Fear is just, is just um, as what people know, it's false evidence of preparing real or fuck everything and run. Just let it go. Because if you allow the fear to take over your body or your brain, it will really mess everything up. And what I say to everyone, just take, keep taking small steps, baby steps. Keep improving. You keep moving. You keep improving. Especially for anybody with stroke or spinal cord or anything. The more the body moves, the more the body has the the intelligence to regain any movements. And when everyone else, and when you think there's no possibilities or that the end's in sight, it's not. It just means you're about to go through a breakthrough. And behind every breakdown, there's a breakthrough. Yeah, beautiful. And if you want to find me, go to strokehacker.com. I work with stroke survivors. I work with brain injury survivors. It could be veterans. It could be first responders. It could be athletes who incurred some kind of combative uh, trauma or, you know, trauma. We'll use the word trauma. And I'm I'm launching a version 2.0 of myself right now. I'm coming out with a master course that helps everybody from day one of their stroke all the way to 10 years out. And it's me coaching them all the way through. And I'm excited about it because I've been spending the last decade of my life researching it and doing it and creating this. And I'm taking my information and my knowledge from the best of the best, from all, all types of the world, from neurologists to neurosurgeons to internists to chiropractors to shamans to healers. I've created a course that can help not only that survivor, but, but, but their loved ones, your children, your spouses, your parents, because... When someone goes through the, as much trauma as we've been through, it takes a village to heal mm-hmm. and everybody feels helpless. So my target audience are those loved ones. I want to talk to those kids. I want to talk to those brothers, those sisters, and those people around them because they're the ones who need me and I can guide them on that to help that survivor to get through it. Where are you at today? Where am I at? In Los Angeles. I'm meeting you for dinner. (laughs) We're going to meet for dinner tonight. (laughs) What's what I mean? (laughs) What? 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 Is like, where are you at in, where are you at in your life today? Where are you at your, your happiness, your, uh, where are you at with everything? I mean, cause nobody sees you. You're, yeah. unless they look you up, because it's all audio. So where are you at right it's now? All audio? Okay. I mean, there will be some video, but, but you know, this is all, everybody's listening. Where so. am I at today? I am, um, I, I walk, I talk, obviously, I, I drive. Um, um, I'm back to about, I'd probably say about eight, 85% of my body. It's regaining more and more. Am I going to go climb? A mountain with you tomorrow? Hell no. I is just not in my blood. May, maybe someday, but it's baby steps. It's re it's relearning. It's reconfine. It's reconnecting my body with my brain. Yeah. And I think everyone's going through something. And um, 
I'm, I'm in a place now that I'm about to light the world up and I want to help those. I want to bring, I want to bring that light into someone's darkness and, and help them to guide them out of where they need to be and into, and into the clearing. As we all know, the more that you help others, you also rise yourself. So that's awesome. Beautiful. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being my friend. <laughs> Always be your friend. Always be your friend. A thousand percent. I love that. I do too. Um, you must be starving. I am starving. We got to grab food. So we got to end this. <laughs> well, let's go get some food. Okay, honey. Um, strokehacker.com, seanetton.com. Look me up on my socials. You'll find me. But if you need help, reach out to me and we'll take care of you. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Sean. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you all soon. My friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so grateful to have you here. I'd love to invite you over to sarahschultingkranz.com to receive five free meditations recorded by me or download your free guide on how nature is your perfect healing therapy. My site has many free resources to guide you on your life journey, many that I used myself while on my road from victim to survivor. And also, please, I ask that you share my podcast with those who may need inspiration, information, or who may need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review and subscribe. Go find it on other platforms such as Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please also go to my Instagram or Facebook page, leave a message in my comments, and tell me what you think of this episode. Please share in your stories and tag me. I'd love to reshare and celebrate your healing journey. I love hearing from each one of you. Let's keep the ripple going. It begins with each one of us. I love you. And as I always say, I believe in you, us, always. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.